I got to do the cover story of The Advocate for the reunion of Will and Grace. Half of NBC was also in the room and they all got quiet and they all just listened to the conversation. And I remember being like completely terrified. Well, I've been like preparing my whole life for this, right? Like to be able to interview these sort of iconic actors from this iconic show, you know, being able to talk to Sean Hayes, playing a gay character for the first time as an out actor. It's just so great. Welcome to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores exceptional career success stories, inspiring and insightful personal brand journeys that answer the question, are you coffee or are you Starbucks? Fascinating conversations with leaders about their career breakthroughs from entertainment, tech, media, and more. You'll learn how they've turned up the volume on their brand to unlock success. Firsthand, uncensored, and real, as told by people who've been there and plenty of inspiration and practical tools to help you lead with your brand every day as you drive towards your next career breakthrough. And now, here's your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Hey everybody, Jason Patria here, and you are listening to the Lead With Your Brand podcast, which is the podcast for folks just like you who are looking to turn up the volume, show your value, and lead with your brand to your next career breakthrough. Well, it is June and it is LGBTQ plus Pride Month. We are proud to celebrate here on the podcast. So visit us at leadwithyourbrand.com slash pride for our Pride on Brand collection featuring the best of amazing leaders, executives, and influencers, all who just happen to be part of the LGBTQ plus community. You can hear episodes from folks like Congressman Mark Takano, celebrity chef and entrepreneur Susan Feniger, and Wilson Cruz, the star of Star Trek Discovery on Paramount+. Plus. Now we've got another great Pride guest this week. It is Daniel Reynolds, who is the editor-in-chief of out magazine. But before we get to Daniel, I want to talk a little bit about your career audience. Now, we know in marketing that if you are trying to be something to everybody, you are really nothing to no one. That's right. If you're trying to please everyone, you're never going to be successful. And quite simply, you're going to be wasting your energy spraying out to everyone. Now, I know here at work, it's not like you can turn people away. You don't necessarily get to choose who to work with, but great marketers know that we want to invest our energy in our raving fans. In fact, you want to super serve your raving fans. Now, I love looking at your career audience in terms of avatars. Your avatars are those personas that when you think of that persona, it helps you shortcut directly to understanding wants, needs, and cares about of this group of people who are your super fans. Well, let's take some examples from media. Of course, we're not being political here, but if you take a look at Fox News, over 25 years ago, their chief marketing officer defined their avatar, their persona that they were going to super serve as angry old white men. Now, let's be clear. It's not like everyone who watches Fox News is angry, is old, or is white. In fact, I will tell you, my recently departed aunt and uncle were huge Fox News 
News fans. Now, both of them were not white. They actually lived in their retirement in the state of Hawaii, the most democratic state and the only non-white majority state in the United States. But they still loved in their retirement listening to Fox and watching Fox News every single evening. Now, it's not really about the demographics. It's about that persona, right? So my aunt and uncle, they shared that notion of that angry old white man because they were very much like, you kids, get off our lawn, right? They were very much into that same type of style. But let's flip it. When I spent time with uh, the fabulous folks over at Bravo in the early 2000s when they were transforming into this buzzy pop cultural network, they said, we are going to super serve the wills and graces and the PTA trendsetters, right? They were going to serve those wills and graces, those out LGBTQ plus urbanites and straight professional women who loved going to Broadway and the movies and museums and brunch. And by the way, they also liked a little bit of Perez Hilton on the side. And those PTA trendsetters, those hip, cool suburban moms that went and picked their kids up from soccer practice but wouldn't be caught dead in one of those old school minivans. You see, it was all about funneling all of the energy to super serve those audiences. So I want you to think for yourself, if you had to take a list of all of your raving fans, and I'll challenge you, go ahead and put it on post-its. Can you group folks into two, three, maybe four avatars that are not about demographics, but rather about ethnographics. How is it that they behave in a similar way? How is it that they share similar needs, wants, and cares about? Now, I'll give you an example. I was recently working with one of my fabulous executive coaching clients, and she's really big in the technology space. She was looking at all of those raving fans and super fans of her throughout her career, and she was really able to boil them down into three groups, right? That first group, she called them the followers, right? These are people that follow her because they are drawn to her energy. They are drawn to the inspiring things that she says and does. These are people that have been employees that have followed her company to company. There are even folks who are former boards of directors of companies she's worked on that follow her career and constantly touch base. She even talked about knowing these people can come up to her when she speaks at a big technology conference and they line up to speak to her because they want to be seen or something that she said really triggered an inspiring thought for them. Then she said she's got this group that she calls the investors, right? These are folks that are really invested in her career. They are invested in her doing great things and constantly growing, and they're drawn to her knowledge and her confidence and her ability to deliver strongly, but they're looking for that return on investment in the amount of energy that they put into her. They want to see results that come out either in work product or her moving up and growing her career. And then finally, she said she's got what she calls friends with benefits, you know, with a wink, not that type. But these are folks that they're really looking for a mutually beneficial type of relationship. They like to do creative collaborations. They like the fun and the light from her. These are people that want to know that she is 
invested in what they're working on and that they can work on it together in a way that she can help them deliver an amazing outcome. So she has her investors, her followers, and her friends with benefits. Those are the folks that are her raving fans. She is going to super serve them and she's going to put the majority of her energy into attracting folks with those ethnographies that fit in those avatars. But one of the things that I thought she was really astute and smart at was she actually defined an avatar that is not one of her raving fans. In fact, it's folks that don't necessarily always become attracted to her style. She called them the techies. These are subject matter experts. These are the folks that are really hardcore technologists. And oftentimes, they are resistant to her style. Now, it's important because she identified that this group are not her raving fans, but she knows she needs to work with folks in this avatar. What she's done is identify different techniques to help diffuse resistance and even look at how she can take some of these folks and move them from that avatar into one of her raving fan avatars you can do the same thing. So I'm going to challenge you to think about all of the folks in your career universe, put all of those names down in post-its, and if you could group them together in two, three, maybe even four categories or avatars of folks, who would your raving fans be? And maybe who are those folks that aren't fans at all that you need to have some different techniques to make it work? Well, I am super excited about our guest today. It is Daniel Reynolds, who is the editor-in-chief of Out Magazine. Now, Daniel is an award-winning journalist who focuses on entertainment, culture, health, and politics. He joined The Advocate as an intern way back in 2012 and has risen through the ranks to become the editor-in-chief of its sister magazine, Out, just last year. Now, as a West Hollywood resident, he has written several covers stories for Pride Media publications, among them The Advocate's 2017 Will and Grace reunion issue and Out's latest Pride cover featuring the cast of Hacks. Prior to Pride Media, Daniel worked as a freelance producer for ABC TV's On the Red Carpet and as a writer for Guest of a Guest, where he covered the spheres of art, fashion, and society in New York City. We'll be back in just a moment with Daniel Reynolds, editor-in-chief of Out Magazine. For over 25 years, Jason has coached, trained, and developed thousands of leaders and executives, helping them achieve their next career breakthrough. He's a featured speaker at global conferences and companies to help everyone bring their best authentic self to work, show their value, and lead with their brand every day. Get more tips and tools at leadwithyourbrand.com. All right, we are back, and I am super excited because it's LGBTQ plus Pride Month. I have the editor-in-chief of Out Magazine, Daniel Reynolds, here with me. Daniel, what's going on? Jason, I'm feeling very proud and very excited to be here with you today. Thank you for having me. Of course. Well, I am I am thrilled to have you on because, you know, for the past over a decade, you have been covering our community for a whole variety of publications. But tell me, Daniel, when you first meet people, how do you explain 
what it is that you do and who you are? Well, I say the editor in chief of Out Magazine, and it's tricky because sometimes they hear L. <laughs> so I have to explain <laughs> that it is in fact Out, and that we are the premier LGBTQ plus culture and entertainment magazine in the United States. So um, I basically describe myself as a conductor. Um, I curate the upcoming issue, and then I cast the different writers and the photographers to populate it. And um, I do a lot of writing and journalism myself. So you do see a lot of me within the pages as well. And so, Daniel, I know on the newsstands right now, everyone's going out and grabbing or getting their digital copies of your special Pride issue. So tell me about this awesome Pride edition. Well, we are so proud of the Pride issue. <laughs> and this is the first Pride issue that I've curated as editor-in-chief. So it was very special for me as well. Um, we interviewed the LGBTQ plus cast members of Hacks, which is not only one of my favorite shows, but also I think a really important show in the TV landscape. Yeah. We're seeing um, queer characters that are populating it throughout who are not the butt of the jokes. They're not tropes. They're messy and funny and really moving the needle forward. I do think that they um, represent the future of uh, what it means to be queer on TV. Yeah, and of course, I'm obsessed with Hacks, too. What was it like spending spending time with this amazing cast that is kind of just breaking all sorts of barriers? I wish I was hanging out with them right now. It was literally like <laughs> a pride party. They're so funny. I mean, just sitting on the couch with Meg Stalter as she is, you know, saying, um, get your latest issue of Out, and then, like, repeating it over and over with sort of high gay and her own amazing improv thrown in was great. But you could really tell that this cast loved each other, that they were part of a found family. They were just full of, they would burst out into sing-alongs together as they were doing shoots. And I mean, it was just really a, a really joyous day spending with them. And I've actually seen them out at a few events um, since then, and they've all been quite lovely and always bring the life to the party, as they say. <laughs> yes, and that's that's the best part about Pride, right? All of these uh, all of these parties that I know you and I get to bump into each other uh, at all of the time. Now, Daniel, tell me a little bit about your career. When you look back, how did you even break into journalism and, and covering the community in the first place? Well, I always knew I wanted to be a writer, and I went to school for English and, and French. And then I, um, I got a master's in English and writing in New York before I moved to Los Angeles. And even when I, you know, throughout, I was freelancing and writing for different outlets, uh, usually in New York, and I had a job in D.C. for a bit. Um, but I would actually really credit my partner with uh, bringing me to the path I am today, we Ooh. met in New York City, and I had never envisioned myself in Los Angeles. And he really um, uh, wanted to move us there. And as part of one of the incentives, I've actually never told anyone this before. He <laughs> submitted my resume to the advocate for an internship. And so one of the first things I did as a part of the incentive to you know move with him for to L.A., what we thought might have been a suburb, maybe longer, was uh, have an interview at the advocate for the internship position, which I then got, which then, you know, led me to climb the ranks to become um, the editor-in-chief of Out. So, you know, he really did put me on that track. And I guess it was love that brought us together. <laughs> <laughs> 
And so, and so tell me, Daniel, what's it like? Uh, what's it been like working with advocate, the advocate, right? I mean, when, when we think of LGBTQ plus journalism, right? Like the advocate was really a pioneer in that. And you've written so many, uh, articles and, and features over the years in that publication. What's it like working for something that's almost like an institution and a brand of its own? I know it's like working for the Stonewall Inn or something, right? It feels <laughs> exactly. Very surreal. I mean, growing up, the advocate, uh, these were so important to me. I was the president of our GSA in college, and I um, had a subscription to both of them. And I just remember reading them and seeing myself represented for the first time and, you know, using that almost as a playbook to how I could increase visibility and you know, um, the conversations around LGBTQ issues on campus. So it's been surreal working there over the past decade to be like, yeah, I covered, you know, the passage of marriage equality. And I remember, you know, just how joyous that all was. Or each one of the presidential elections was its own experience. You know, we would always burn the midnight oil. And, you know, I, I was there for the re-election of Obama and then the election of Trump. Um, you know, I remember being in the newsroom. It was just me and our editorial director at the time. Everyone else had gone home because of how dire it was looking. And we were just sitting there and he was completely befuddled. He's like, I have no idea what we're going to do. And you could hear the students from UCLA had walked down and they were like sort of taking over the streets. We were in Westwood at the time. And yeah. you could feel this groundswell of activism already happening in response to the election. And so, you know, it's those moments. And then also, you know, I received, because I just watched the Queer Folk reboot, um, I uh, I thought of the day that the, the Pulse shooting happened and how, oh, yeah. you know, we all went into the office and it was also Los Angeles pride and, you know, figuring out how to cover that as it was happening, all the details that were emerging and how scary that was. So, you know, definitely there's been the best of times, worst of times scenarios being in that newsroom, but it's been an honor to help, to help cover them and to bring those stories, you know, to our community. Yeah. And Daniel, talk to me a little bit around, you know, how do you balance bringing your best authentic self to work and and still being a journalist, right? How do you how do you manage to be an advocate, right? Pun intended, and, and still, you know, bring journalistic integrity to the stories that you're covering? This is a tricky situation, right? Because to be a journalist is to be unbiased. But to be a member of the LGBTQ plus community, particularly with the brands that we have, you know, one can say, oh, my God, like, you know, you're part of the liberal agenda or whatever. And the way I think of it is that equality isn't liberal or conservative. Right. I mean, this is just uh, this is just the progress of human events. And so, um, you know, I. <laughs> don't like to think of myself as necessarily an activist, but what I do is I give voice to the people that do, right? And I do it in a fair way um, to make sure that we do have balanced reporting that, you know, if there is another side that is credible, that we talk about that as well. And so, you know, no one's like getting a pass just because they're a member of our community necessarily. But, um, you know, the reason that the advocate exists, right, is because no one was reporting on LGBTQ issues. Yeah. So it was mainstream outlets that were biased. And so all we're doing is restoring balance to the scale. And I think in the past few years, you've seen a major uptick, you know, in 
in the reporting of these issues. And we've led the way. We have been the voice where there was none before that. And so, you know, we still remain really vital um, institutions like in the media landscape. Yeah. And and so I love that you started as an intern, right? Like we all have to get our foot in the, in the door somewhere. What were a couple of those career breakthrough moments that that got you to the editor in chief role at out? What were some of those moments where you like, wow, I really just leveled up or, or you were able to break through to that next level? Well, first of all, I was like the longest intern ever. I think I interned <laughs> for the advocate for like six months, right? Which is, it was a pretty long time. I don't know if I could get away with that today. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. There, maybe there's a potential lawsuit there. But I really just made the most of that. I mean, you know this. Like, I was an intern at The Advocate, but I was going to every single event possible. Yeah. I was working every red carpet that was available. I was uh, attending every event, trying to interview as many people as I could, because I knew that this one of, of opportunity might not last necessarily. And so I actually, um, you know, I, I doubled down and I just did as much work as I could and as the best work that I could. And I ended up writing a cover story for one of our publications, which was for, for Plus Magazine. It was called HIV Plus then. Um, and that was a huge accomplishment for me as a writer at that time. Um, and also to be like, wow, I was here and I, I had this going forward. I knew that even if I didn't land, you know, with the advocate that, you know, that was something concrete that I could bring to the next level. And actually I was hired at, right after that as a freelance producer at, um, ABC sevens on the red carpet. So I had already sort of transitioned to a new potential career path, just using the time that, you know, I had with the advocate and then there was a really big crossroads moment where I worked at on the red carpet for a few months. And then I got um, an offer to be an editorial assistant at The Advocate. And the pay was a little less, but, you know, it really forced me to sit down and sit with myself and the people I loved and be like, you know, what is it that important to me in my life, mm -hmm. and my career? What's it that I want to do? And I really loved, you know, entertainment reporting, but I knew that there was something really special about working in LGBTQ media. And so... I see that opportunity and, you know, that was being an assistant is also its own, you know, um, make or break moment because you have to learn how to do everything. You know, you have yeah. to do invoices, you know, you have to continue to do reporting, you have to schedule meetings, you know, you know, sort of do all glamorous things. I'm, I'm still doing these things now. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, just being, that was a really invaluable experience to, uh, you know, it's very humble, but it's also like you have to learn how everything works. And, you know, I, I always say in order to be a leader, you first have to learn to be a good follower mm. and to be able to work with people, you know, the bosses throughout the years. I've just learned so much, you know, in terms of, um, how to deal with a, a range of personalities in a newsroom and, <laughs> and, also, and also talent, right? You know, yeah, because uh -huh, that can be its own range. Um, but also how to balance just work and life and, you know, the finding, finding, finding happiness in both of them. <laughs> yeah. And, and talk to me about kind of your big promotion to editor in chief, uh, just a little bit over a year ago at out what needed to change for you in terms of moving into that, you know, key, uh, leadership role, not only of the team, but really the, the voice of the magazine. Well, it was, Definitely a crucible experience. I uh, had worked in mostly digital 
for like the better part of a decade. And this was, um, I mean, it's still involved overseeing digital, but also producing a print product, which was kind of me going back to my roots because, you know, I had started in uh, more of a print space. And then as media changed, I had um, gotten out of that. But um, so first of all, I had to learn the basics of just what it meant to be in print production and to lead that. Um, and then I had to uh, learn a lot of things about sales I've <laughs> <laughs> done before. I mean, this is really like learning about, you know, when you're just focused on journalism and writing, you know, that's its own thing. But to run a magazine, I mean, it's like it's like overseeing a business, right? It's like, yeah. how do we um, how do we make journalism possible? How do we make a space for that? So um you know, there's first the mechanics of that, but then it's also deciding, you know, what out is, which is something that I think has been very different throughout the years under different leaderships. And um, so that for me was really, you know, doing a lot of reflection about our community and the place we're in, in the movement, because out's history is also a part of the movement's history. And then understanding that, like, you know, we have an audience of people that we have to, to write for, um, but also, like, we have a community that we have to represent and trying to mm. incorporate as many voices as possible. So, you know, curating that 100, I, you know, I did it for the first time last year, and that was one of the hardest things I've ever done. Yeah. Because there's like a hundred people and they're associated publicists, but also because, <laughs> you know, like, which, which is its own learning experience. Um, but also like finding a group of people who represent the moment um, in terms of uh, their profession and, and also their background. And so it really is just this ongoing lesson in evolution. And yeah. You know, it, it. I think you'll see in every issue of Out that it does change, and I think that's because the conversations are changing, the topics are changing. Yeah. So, so Daniel, let's talk a little bit about your brand uh, as as an editor, as a as a journalist. What are three words that you would use to describe brand Daniel Reynolds? Oh my gosh. I know I'm not supposed to use this word because Ellen told people never to use it, but <laughs> I, I, I do really believe in kindness. Um, I think if you treat your colleagues with with empathy, with the people that you interview with empathy, I think it it just works better. Yeah. Um, you know, you can be really mean and aggressive and sometimes like it's the job done. But, um, you know, when you're dealing with a team of people over a long period of time in like this crazy world that we're living in, you know, that doesn't feel so kind. I think that's something we really need to double down in the workplace and with our business interactions. Yeah. Um, I would also say lead by example, you know, like I can't expect anyone to burn the midnight oil if I'm not willing to do that. Right. So, you know, I really have to be able to do a variety of tasks that, are, you know, it may seem glamorous on social media if I'm going on all these red carpets. But, you know, my day to day is actually like, you know, um, pouring, you know, like articles into our CMS, you know, and, and looking at SEO tagging and, you know, like, like mailing copies of the magazine to people, right? There's just this. You know, and if I if I can't do those things and show the people that I work with that I'm, you know, unwilling to do them, then I can expect them to do it. And then the third thing I think is I really like value my sense of humor. Mm -hmm. I think that you know uh, sometimes like you, 
people can take work very, very seriously, but it's really absurd the things that we do, right? Like, <laughs> especially in queer media. Like, I'm talking about, okay, we're talking about promoting a slideshow of, like, you know, men in Speedos. Like, this isn't... <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're not trying to get like the Nobel Prize for this particular task. So, you know, like just like being able to, I think, make people laugh, particularly in moments that can be stressful or they might can feel overwhelmed. You know, I think I can really pride myself on that. So. Yeah. So I love that kindness leading by example and, and, and bringing, bringing the humor. You know, Daniel, I know you, you kind of laughed about saying kindness, but it really strikes me that it's a differentiator because, you know, when, when we're covering Hollywood as an industry in a town, right? There's a, it's not a, a very friendly place quite a bit. So how, how do you lead with kindness when you're working in the industry or you're working in po- covering politics, right? You talked about some difficult elections. How do you, how do you show up as kind in those moments, both as an editor and a journalist? Oh my gosh. Well, it, it's not always easy. <laughs> I have to say. <laughs> um, you know, I think uh, but I think it's, it is easier sometimes to move into spaces of anger, particularly when you're surrounded by people in a world that would choose that path. I was uh, getting Mexican food last weekend and there's sort of a lot of people going in and out of the door. Yeah. And I um, paused for a moment because I was like, oh my God, I'm so hungry. Like I really need to eat. But I saw that there was you know, this woman who had been waiting there. And I was like, what am I doing? Like, you know, I I need to show a a little courtesy. And so I I held the door open for her. She walked out um, and she came back to me later. She had, I guess, stepped out to her car and came back. And she's like, I just want you to know that that was really nice. Mm. And I understood then that even the smallest acts that we do engender a kinder world. And so rather than falling into a vicious cycle of anger and uber competitiveness, competitiveness, um, I think that if we just focus on the things that we can control in our lives and do it in as kind a way as possible, then that turns into a virtuous cycle in which Mm. other people are inspired to do the same thing. So I think that's my response. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Now talk to me a little bit about out because you said part of your transition and becoming the editor in chief has been really about finding that voice. Right. And it, and it's a, a heritage brand, right? It's been around for years, but I love that you said it's evolved. So you're in a position to not only have a brand as an editor, but create that curatorial brand voice of the publication. So how would you describe the brand voice of Out today? I would say it's exciting. It's on the vanguard. Um, It's beautiful and diverse and aspirational. And I think I hope, you know, that it inspires people to look outside of the worlds that have become so small since the pandemic, right? Yeah. And to remember that they are part of a larger community and that our lives are linked in really important ways that um, go from politics to entertainment to health. And, you know, that something like a pandemic is, you know, has 
put us all into our rooms, but it's also an opportunity to bring people together um, and to remember that this is a movement that has always been intersectional, but it's just that people are just now waking up to the fact that their lives have been interlocked with others for years and that yeah. they actually have a responsibility maybe to advocate and to, to read and to think a little more um, beyond, beyond the small and into the big. Yeah. And, and talk to me, how do you make choices about what's kind of like in and out? You know, how, how do you, how do you make a choice of that? You know, that feels like that's very out versus that's not out magazine when you're, when you're reading, uh, you know, people's work or you're taking story pitches? It's so difficult because I feel like it's of just a feeling, right? Mm-hmm. You hear something yeah. and you're like, that really fits in with the moment. And it's usually something I hadn't thought about before. You know, so like we had like, you know, uh, the our first issue of the year was all Star Trek. Right. So we did, we sort of did all these really beautiful photo shoots with the cast members and they're all just all very amazing and diverse. And they all such a different, interesting story to bring to the conversation about what it means to be queer today and in the future and in TV and in science fiction. But then that sort of built out other things around it. Right. So I got a pitch from, uh, from, uh, this this uh, individual named Cameron Vess, who is you know the first furry in space, and I was like, of course that's out, and it fits in with <laughs> Star Trek, and it fits in with the future, and then you know uh, there's a, there was a queer Lego master who was building these like amazing camp you know just masterpieces in homage to Star Trek and uh, Deli Parton and Elvira and I'm like well of course that's out you know and it fits perfectly <laughs> within these pages and so you know I think sometimes out is a little absurd when you see it in the moment but it's also like it makes sense because that's what it means to be queer yeah and I think out means queer right and it means cool and those two are you know I mean those two are the same thing, you know. It is cool to be queer. It's queer to be cool. <laughs> and and Daniel, what have been some of your most uh, memorable interviews over the years? Oh my gosh! Well, I got to do the cover story of the Advocate for the reunion of Will and Grace, and I have to say that was just absolutely. I mean, one of the most exciting things you know I've ever been in the room for. I remember they had been doing. Uh, the the upfronts that morning it was in New York yeah. and then they, yeah. they all all the black cars just started coming in yeah. and then they were filing out there's probably there's like a hundred people in the room from like, <laughs> from like the publicist <laughs> and, and the stylist yeah and, and I remember at Radio City Music Hall like they came out of like out of the stage like on a platform it was wild oh god yeah so this was ex- right after that they had gone right from that to the advocate photo shoot and then so you know to see them transform with the hair and makeup and just to sit down with them i, was, I think i was interviewed them for like an hour and uh, i probably like half of nbc was also in the room and they all got quiet and they all just listened to the conversation and i remember being like completely terrified because i'm like oh my gosh like i have an audience but then at the same time <laughs> i was like well, I've been like preparing my whole life for this, right? Like to be able to interview these sort of iconic actors from this iconic show, you know, being able to talk to Sean Hayes for the playing a gay character for the first time as an out actor because he hadn't been in the original run. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just, 
it's just so great. And I had, uh, I'd gone to a junket later for the, for the second season revival. And, you know, they, they all, it was, it was on actually on the set. And then that was even felt really like a great, um, homecoming, I guess. And they all remembered me and it was very, it was very meaningful to, um, to be able to mark that really important moment in culture, which was in completely responsive, you know, to, to the election of Trump and also, uh, like a, a major, you know, just legacy in terms of a show that as our current president said, you know, helped engender marriage equality in the United States. Yeah. So yeah, that was really cool. Yeah, that is so, uh, that is so awesome. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for that. Now, <laughs> Daniel, you know, I like travel all around the world and the country and I speak with big corporations and help their employee resource groups really drive advocacy for LGBTQ plus and, and other marginalized communities through the power of their employees. One of the number one things I get asked by marginalized people and especially LGBTQ plus people at work is, you know, how, how they can bring their best authentic selves to work, right? How is it that they can truly be out at work? And what advice do you have, uh, for people today to be authentically LGBTQ and, and be successful in the workplace? Oh my gosh, it's a lot. You know, I come from a, a really a huge place of privilege because working in LGBTQ media, I have always been out and it's never even been a question of my safety or my job or anything like that. And so, you know, I, um, I, I don't really know what it's like to be in the shoes where it's like I might risk my life and livelihood if I if I come out of my career. And I do think for a lot of people, um, maybe it isn't safe. You know, I don't think that every industry is necessarily um, on the on the on the same path to progress. <laughs> but um, I do know that in terms of my own story, um, I remember it being really hard to be out when I first started at college and I just felt really lost and isolated. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like I don't have a community. I feel like there's walls everywhere. Um, and then I, because of that experience, I, um, became the president of our gay straight alliance. Uh, it was called quest, uh, it, my first semester, uh, because the group was in danger of folding and no one oh, else no. was stepping in. And because I did that, I ended up creating a community of people over the course of four years and creating conversations that led to change. And, you know, we held like, I think it was the first, you know, LGBTQ like rally in our quad. And we got people from frats and sports teams. And, you know, there was, and I, I learned from that experience that, um, perception is not always reality. Mm. And that the things that I was fearing, a lot of them, you know, weren't real. And that by stepping in and being out and building a community, um, I changed that perception to one that was truer and, um, and lovelier, I think. And so, um, I would say to anyone who's in any environment where there's work or their community who maybe has those fears to um, know that, you know, sometimes you can't wait for someone else to take a step. Sometimes you have to take that step and then you can be the person 
that lets the other person know, right, that they too can come forward and, and join you. Because, you know, it's a party. (laughs) (laughs) And I guess that's really right, that leading by example. So so when you talked about kindness and leading by example and and humor, have those been brand attributes for you throughout your entire life? Or or have they evolved as you've gone through school and and career? Yeah, I think it's definitely evolved. I don't think you know, I don't think I don't think we necessarily have like inherent traits that you know we're sort of born with. I think it's a cultivation. I think maybe there's a base there, but there's a cultivation through a lifetime. And, you know, I remember being younger and, you know, I remember moments where I was mean and I was cruel to people, where I was cruel to other gay people um, because I had my own insecurities. And my life has been a journey of understanding what those insecurities are and understanding that, you know, I'm always going to have blind spots when it comes to people's experiences because I only have my own experience yeah. to to reference. And so I think my job in media has been really invaluable to that because I'm I I speak with so many different kinds of people from so many different backgrounds. And they can always they always have something to teach me about how I can open my eyes a little wider and maybe have a little more understanding um, for people who aren't like me. Um, and also I think I remember like when I was younger as well, I wasn't necessarily the hardest worker, you know, (laughs) I, I, and I don't know quite, I think I resented school in a lot of ways because it, it kind of made me uncomfortable a lot, particularly as I was working my way through the closet and, you know, I, it didn't feel like I kind of fit in anywhere. And I think that becoming an adult has been an understanding that um, the work that we do, you know, it, especially when, you know, there's a team of people involved um, that it helps uplift others and it helps uplift ourselves. And that hard work is, is hard work is essential to understanding that, you know, we can make a difference. We can make a positive one and we can help uplift our own communities and, you know, and make some money. (laughs) (laughs) We can do good and still make money, right? And still make money, yeah. But uh, yeah, so that's what I would say. Um, so, so Daniel, a couple of, of of fun questions to close out. What's your favorite brand? We've been talking all about your brand and Out Magazine as a brand. What What's your favorite brand as a consumer? What can't you live without? Oh my gosh! Okay, I really love coffee. And so I love Lavazza coffee Ooh. and I make Lavazza coffee every morning. And I feel like maybe this is just a stereotype, but as a journalist, I just, it's like black coffee, you know, I'll just drink it straight. And then it just like powers me throughout the morning. Maybe I'll get a little slump in the afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> and why, why is that your go-to brand? Um, because it's good. I, I tried a lot of different types of, and I, and, and I, I, I do prepare it as well. So, you know, um, a, like, you know, I, I didn't like going to Starbucks. I used to go to Starbucks constantly. And then I like had just concerns about, you know, like, okay, like I'm spending too much money necessarily on this product. And like what they always say, what's the easiest way? The corner of a cut. We'll just make your own coffee. And then so I went on this quest of 
finding the coffee <laughs> that, <laughs> that I like the best. And after a um, extensive review of the different items on the grocery <laughs> shelf, I settled on this. Watch, like L- Lavazza got like a zero on the HRC scale or something. And I'm really good. <laughs> it's really good coffee. Oh, I love it. If you were a type of car, what type of car would you be? I'd be a bus because we really need to get on better public transportation. Um, I, I will tell you, people think I'm so crazy because I would always take the bus to work and to events. And this has shocked so many people <laughs> that I encounter. <laughs> and for those who don't live in Los Angeles, like, I mean, when they say that nobody takes the bus, like, it's really this awful classist, like, just terrible perception of reality. And I think the problem with LA is I call it a Ziploc town. We're always like in our car. We're always like at the event. And we really lose the sense of community of walking down a street, of sharing a space with other people. Obviously, if you have health concerns, you know, uh, you know, mask up and maybe, maybe don't take the bus if it's necessary. But I think that public transportation is uh, a really important part of understanding again, that we are part of a larger community and that, you know, um, also just to meet different kinds of people that don't look like us or necessarily come from our own walks of life. So yes, I would be an LA Metro bus. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got my tap card ready, right? Got that tap card. <laughs> and finally, Daniel, what's the best career advice that you'd like to pass on to our listeners? As I said before, you know, there's a lot of really not so nice people in the world. And they're the first people that will take opportunities, whether or not they necessarily have the experience or the qualifications. I would advise people to have confidence in themselves. I think, of, especially when I was younger, and then even today, you know, I kind of feel like, oh, I have to dim my halo, you know, I have to kind of let someone else go through the door first because maybe I haven't been in this job that long. And it's been a lot of self-doubt. I think RuPaul would call it your inner saboteur, right? That voice that's like, maybe you don't have the qualifications necessary. And, um, you know, so you need to understand that, you know, if you've put in the work, if you have the ability, you need to seize that opportunity when it comes because it may not come again. And then the person that takes it, you know, may not understand or be particularly gracious the fact that you passed it up. <laughs> so. <laughs> well, awesome. Daniel, thank you for bringing your fabulous kindness and your humor. What can we look for on newsstands in the next issue of Out? Well, it's actually our 30th anniversary issue. Woohoo! And it didn't look a day over 29. I know. My gosh. So uh, it's really fabulous. We revisit some of our iconic covers. We speak with, you know, past editors. And we really um, show, as we said before, the evolution of the brand and also queer culture. So it's a really exciting retrospective. And also, it's just an honor to be, you know, helming the ship uh, during such a momentous year. So um, 
Check us out, Dirty 30. <laughs> Yay! I can't wait to get it in my mailbox. Daniel, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, and I'll be back in just a couple of moments with my final thoughts. Are you tired of not being recognized for your work? Are you ready to rise above the rest and accelerate to the next level? The Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program will help you take control of your career, develop your own unique brand, and catapult you to a whole new level of success. You are a top performer, and the Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program is what you need to get you there. Visit leadwithyourbrand.com to learn how. Wow, what an amazing conversation with Daniel Reynolds, the editor-in-chief of Out Magazine. You know, he had so many great stories and so many great things to say, but I'm really struck with his whole focus on kindness, right? It feels like the world is a little crazy today. In fact, every time I turn on the TV or look at a push notification on my phone, it's some really, really bad news. And here we are at LGBTQ Plus Pride Month, and I'm going to take a note from Dan and really focus on being kind. Is there an opportunity to say something nice, even just to smile next time you go through the drive through to get something to eat, or you bump into someone while you're waiting for the light to change at the crosswalk? You can control what you do because it's all about your actions and behaviors. Remember, being kind is not difficult. So let's try and spend the rest of Pride Month just being a little bit kind. Well, that's our show for you today. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. If you did, make sure that you are following us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast, and we'll deliver a brand new show every single Tuesday. Now, check out our Pride on Brand collection. It is at leadwithyourbrand.com slash pride, where you can hear from amazing leaders and executives, all who happen to identify as part of the LGBTQ plus community. Check me out on social media. I'm at Jason Patria on all platforms. And check me out on LinkedIn, where I share tons of tips and tricks on how you can lead with your brand to your next career breakthrough. And most importantly, don't be a boring old commodity like coffee. In your career, make sure you're a super premium brand like Starbucks. You've been listening to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores and uncovers exceptional career success stories and inspiring personal brand journeys with your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Remember to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us at leadwithyourbrand.com.